This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. And away we go with The Adam Ritz Show. We are a national public affairs radio show covering philanthropy and charity work and health and fitness and all things that uh, can make your community uh, hopefully a better place. We do it with a smile on our face. My name is Adam Ritz. Jay Baker is joining me on the phone. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Hey, doing well. We're heading into a very busy part of the year. The holidays are almost upon us. It is uh, the end of the year. It's a a holiday weekend. Uh, You know, are are your affairs in order, so to speak? Are you ready to write 2024 on your checks in a couple weeks? Well, that, as you said, is one of the big challenges, not just shop for the appropriate Christmas gift or, you know, give generously in your community. It's writing 2024. That's something you got to brace yourself. We've even suggested a little practice. Uh, but the good news is you don't have to do it until uh, midnight on uh, December 29th. So I, you know, at least once a year, I will write a check and I mean, I'll miss I'll miss the year by by five years. <laughs> and it is, sure. I don't know what kind of mini stroke I'm having, but uh, yeah, it was about seven weeks ago I wrote a check and I wrote 2014 on it. <laughs> wow, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 well, don't be embarrassed you if you're for- still writing 2022. I wrote 2014 on the check. Well, and this is going to maybe sound silly, but I bet a lot of people can relate. For whatever reason, pre-year 2000, if somebody said something, oh, well, that happened in the blah, blah, blahs. And I'd go, well, that was about 25 years ago. And then the person goes, yeah, you're right. Now I have to really think through if somebody said 15 years ago, I can't immediately just come up with you know, 2008 or 2009 or whatever the correct answer is, you know, and you just go, what has happened? I can't do reverse math with calendar years anymore, you know? Well, you mentioned, okay, so 15 years ago was 2008. My my dad is, is 82 years old. And when he tells stories, he will say about 15 years ago, X, Y, and Z happened. And he's telling a story that took place in 1968. (laughs) <laughs> like his his idea of time and how long ago things were i mean sometimes when he'll say yeah it was just a few years ago i was five years ago it was like probably 1987 that's so funny <laughs> yeah i don't blame him i'm uh i'm kind of in the same boat i would just nod if he was telling me that story and i'd say i know what you mean yeah okay so it's oh, funny we, we've got some history to discuss uh every year the uh library of congress national film registry uh puts 25 more uh, significant films into their uh, vault. And they just announced this week the 25 films from this year that will be uh, selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. And I, I did say the 25 films from this year. The the movies aren't from this year. This is just the year they go into the vault. I see. Um, and the rules are the, uh, the films have to have uh, cultural, historic, or aesthetic importance and they have to be at least 10 years old. And uh, some of these movies, I, I know uh, you love uh, Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon. Um, Great film. Home Alone, uh, which is always so much 
such a fun movie and a holiday tradition for so many families. So it's nice to know this time of year uh, that Home Alone made it into the registry. Um, you know, let's just go over the uh, most of this list here. Um, sure. The oldest film on the list, because they have to be 10 years old. The oldest film on the list is from 1921. It's called A Movie Trip Through Filmland. Have you seen that one? I that, I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, busy that year, and really, yeah, I I missed a lot of stuff in 1921. Uh, and then the the most recent films, two of them from 2013, which was like three or four years ago. Uh, the documentary <laughs> 20 Feet from Stardom" and then "12 Years a Slave." Both of these films won Oscars, and now they right. are both in the Library of Congress National Film Registry. Um, I love to know that uh, you know that it's not just uh, uh, historical or cultural or uh, educational films that make this list. They got some some fun ones on here too that that any bro would like, uh, including Terminator Two, <laughs> Judgment Day. Oh, that's great from 1991. So it's nice to know that you know a thousand five thousand years from now uh, when they. When aliens go through the rubble of this planet, they'll see that uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day was one of the most important films ever made. Um, Well, that's good that, like you said, it's not just um, a bunch of films that they just merely are, you know, uh, because you do tend to think that, you know, these ultra important films hold such incredible sway. Obviously, somebody said, hey, this film is just entertaining. It was entertaining, along with uh, Desperately Seeking Susan from 1985 with Madonna. That is, you know, that's uh, a great movie. Have you ever seen that you movie? Know, I, bits and pieces here and there. You've seen the whole thing front to start? I have. I think it's got Bill Pullman in it. And it has Madonna, and I forget the lead. Or might be Roseanne Arquette played, I think, the lead in that film along with Madonna, kind of the co-lead. And it was, uh, it, it was a fun film. Are you- Madonna actually did a pretty good job, which might come as a surprise because I think she's branded now as ultra quirky, and I wouldn't argue that with you, but uh, I think she did a really good job. That's a pretty good resume for her. All the Grammys, uh, all oh. the accolades, and now she's in the Library of Congress on the there National Film go. Registry. So you yeah, approve a- Desperately Seeking Susan on the list. Yeah, why okay. not? These are fun films, and you know, I would imagine without looking at the list, you know, there has to be films on there like When Harry Met Sally, and like you said, they included Home Alone. So, you know, they're not all these really dry, historical-based mm-hmm. films. Some of them are based on entertainment, and that's why films are made in the first place. You and I have always talked about that. Fame from 1980 uh, is on the list. Uh, And here's one. uh, The year surprised me. Disney's Lady and the Tramp is now uh, in the registry. And uh, do you know what year that was from? Lady and the Tramp? Just a guess. If I had to guess, I would guess it at about 1964. You were within 10 years. So that's uh, I give you a huge high five for that. I, I, I don't even... I would have guessed the 1980s, and it was from 1955. Ah, so, so I was off, yeah. That's uh, uh, pretty surprising, knowing the year on that movie. But uh, congratulations to all the films that are now on the list. 875 now in total 
uh, are in the Library of Congress National Film Registry. And if you'd like to watch Desperately Seeking Susan, I'm sure you could watch it for free with a click of a button somewhere streaming tonight. <laughs> yeah, it makes you wonder, you know, uh, will people be going to their favorite streaming service to watch these movies? And I think it's kind of cool, too, when you sort of resurrect a film because, you know, films have uh, their story arc. And it's only the films that sort of get pointed out that have a bigger story arc. Uh, you and I have always talked about it. You take a film like The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski, Coen Brothers film with uh, our good friend, uh, oh, I was going to say. Uh, Jeff Bridges. Kurt, Kurt, Jeff Bridges. There we go. But Jeff Bridges did so-so at the box office, but then later it becomes somewhat of a cult classic. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think now people may actually say, hey, let's see Desperately Seeking Susan and some of the other films on there. I uh, recently saw some uh, question online. What one piece of uh, what uh, a movie prop, what one movie prop would you want if you could have one movie prop? And one of the answers was the sweater that the dude wore oh. in The Big Lebowski. Absolutely, a fashion trendsetter. Now, I, a great answer would be um, the mansion from um, Gone with the Wind before it burned there down. There you go. So, yeah, you, you got to think. I mean, you, you want a sweater, something that retails for a hundred bucks, or let's. Uh, I'll take the mansion that uh, that uh, Bugsy Malone, aka Warren Beatty, bought. In uh, the movie Bugsy. That's the prop I want. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Well, we've all had this problem at one time or another. A package doesn't arrive. And, you know, you have to deal with the fact that there, unfortunately, are people that take advantage of others. But uh, UPS is using AI to try to cut down on package theft. And when I heard about this, I thought this makes a great deal of this uh, of sense. They've created a program called Delivery Defense. And what it is is a system where uh, it gives every address a score based on years of data from previous deliveries. So if an address gets a low score, uh, the merchant can reroute the item to a UPS store or to another pickup location. So you're still going to get your package. But they're kind of saying ahead of time, hey, you might have trouble getting your uh, package at this address because this has not historically been a great place to get a package. I thought that was kind of smart. I mean, all you need is some software and a spreadsheet. And yeah, you could keep track of that. Yeah, the company says that only about 2% of addresses have the low confidence score. And uh, they added that last year an estimated 260 million packages disappeared in the U.S. Oh, my goodness. That's a, So there you go. That's a lot of Amazon packages. Yeah, and, and I think this is kind of cool because you'd want to know ahead of time. I mean, there could be a part of someone that says, oh, I'm very upset that my address has a low confidence. I say if my address does, route it to the UPS store. I'd rather drive four miles pick it up and at least have it you know no uh, agreed yeah that's that's a uh, pretty interesting ups using ai to thwart package theft good to know now here's a story this is kind of falls on parents laps but it's also a story of 
how do you correct a problem when the problem is already occurring and is occurring even more frequently, even as we speak, and we're talking about the absolute prevalence of smartphones and how tethered your teenage kids may be to their smartphone. That, that is an addiction, smartphone addiction. It starts early, too. How many times you see a kid in a, in a stroller in a department store looking at the iPhone, watching a cartoon? I'm talking two, three years old, maybe younger, 18 months. They've got an iPhone. Yeah. They've got a $1,000 screen in their hand watching a cartoon. The addiction yeah, and, starts young. Yeah, and, it, and you know, it's an easy babysitter. If I had yep. to watch kids, I'd get the phone out. I, I'd be the first to, to, to tell you that I would. But uh, there's a, a couple of different factors. Obviously, things are going to be tied to the pandemic. It increased social isolation. And uh, kids uh, in many areas uh, had to take their schooling from uh, Zoom calls. So that really changed things. They say that uh, teens age 10 to 14 more than doubled their daily time online. Used to be an average of about 3.8 hours a day. It's zoomed up to 7.7 hours uh, per day, according to the National Pediatrics Foundation. That is unbelievable. Over the over how much time is that? Uh, over the last two years. Over the last two, that is quick. Yeah, that's pretty wild. The study notes that about half of the U.S. children get their smartphone by the age of eleven. That's yeah. That's uh, I I remember twelve was the uh, the mark the benchmark for my daughters uh, who are fully right. grown now and and have they're on their 19th iphone <laughs> but uh wouldn't let them have a phone till they were till they were 12 um so 11 i'm surprised it's that high honestly i really am surprised because my kids were 12 o- over 10 15 years ago so you know right. I, I thought by now it, 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 every year that number gets lower um i i found this surprising i have a, a really good friend who is uh fairly affluent i mean if if he and his wife are not in the top one percent, uh, they're they're darn close, and they have uh, a son and a daughter. Who the the daughter is now a teenager. The son is probably about eleven, and I just found out they're not going to let them have phones until they're in high school, and that just blew my mind. I was so proud of him because, you know, you want to assume that um, w- parents with means just give their kids whatever they want. Or, you know, it's just a Hawaii uh, vacation every other week. Uh, but I was really proud of him for, for telling me that he's not going to get his kids' phones until they're in high school. So tw- so 11, that's the average age. Yeah, and uh, I used to love the old phrase, it's like closing the gate after the cow has left the barn. Because some of these social problems have an interesting corollary in that they're difficult to stop. Think about these numbers. The Pew Research Center reported that 88% of kids age 13 to 18, uh, oh, wait, I take that back. 88 to 95% of teens age 13 to 18 have their own smartphone. So they're not giving an exact figure, but at least 88% of teenage kids have their own smartphone yeah that's i believe it I, again i thought that i thought the number would be higher 
And uh, th- I thought this was cool. Like, this is like your dad telling stories. Sometimes it's kind of cool to have these benchmark numbers in your head. Apple introduced the iPhone in 2007. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a ga- it's a game, cha- a game changer. I remember the job I had. You know, I had to go back to the office to check my email. I I didn't even have email, you know, on, on the flip phone. And like kids today, Gen Z, they're like, you might as well tell people you grew up in the 1800s. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and they're pointing out that one of the main problems that uh, occurred uh, with the advent of all these phones is many schools initially tried to say, no phones whatsoever. Well, you know how well that worked. Yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. My then kids they changed it to, you know, you can only use the phone during uh, lunch and recess. And and now, I mean, most uh, educators just incorporate the phone with the lesson plan, you know. Right. I mean, it's actually, it, it may even be, it, it's a better resource than any textbook because you can have every textbook, every written ever written on your phone, on the smart device. Yeah. Well, that was part of the reason that they even sort of did the little investigation on this in the first place. Not only are the phones exactly what you just said, they're wall to wall in the classroom, but that students are not being taught critical thinking skills the way many kids were taught in the past because they just automatically go to their phone. Mm -hmm. So... It's a bit of a problem, uh, but I don't really know how you'd make it stop. You know what I mean? The cow is already out of the barn. They're out of the barn. You can close the gate if you would like. Yeah, no going back. It just keeps getting worse and worse. (laughs) Yeah, somebody right now is listening to the Adam Rich Show going, hey, thanks for your help, fellas. There's a problem. What should we do? The next story says, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, no solution here. Just let just letting you know that uh, the number of teenagers with smartphones gets higher every year. And uh, in a in a related story, everyone agrees the advent of smartphones and social media has been the destruction of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> it's destroyed everything. That and the movie Desperately Seeking Susan. Those are the two events that together have combined to make humanity." much less of a desirable stopping point well here's what's funny some shows will tell you but we're going to be ultra specific they did a great survey and you know what's the old phrase you know don't ask controversial things at a family gathering but Mm -hmm. we're going to arm you with some more specific information as you head into your family gatherings this holiday season they ask what are the questions you should never ask your family during the holidays? Now, this is family, so this isn't necessarily friends, but I think you'll like this. Number one answer in the survey, the question, why don't you come and see us more? Oh, that's the most offensive question. I, I, <laughs> well, I would have not, not guessed offensive. that. It's just the question you should never ask. See, it was funny when I, listen, when I looked through this list because I went, well, that doesn't seem bad. Then I thought... Oh, the second you ask that question, it just opens Pandora's box. Why don't you, you know, come see what us do you, more? What do you mean, blah, blah, blah? I don't, you see what I mean? It's one of those kind of. Yeah. Well, I'm here, here now. Yes. Now, yeah. here's one. 
have you gained or lost weight? I can agree with that one. That's an obvious one. <laughs> you, there's nothing worse than you look over at a relative. Hey, Uncle Stan, you seem a little, I don't know, what, paunchy? Is that a good word? Fluffy? And it's probably in the way you ask the question, too. So, sure. you know, not just have you gained weight, but if you just if you just said, what happened to you? That's probably not not a good way to phrase it. What happened to you? Um, See, I like that one a lot. I'm going to have to write that down. Don't don't ask any family member this this <laughs> holiday season. What happened to you? What happened to you? <laughs> now here's a good one. We've already talked about this. It's pretty obvious. We'll just lay it out there, probably possibly without comment. But who are you voting for? That's I thought that was going to be the, the first one. <laughs> That's usually the showstopper at the table, isn't it? So don't say who are you voting for you large piece of lard <laughs> don't say that and why don't you come see me more you why just answered you your own question <laughs> yes here's uh, another one when are you going to get married yes i can uh agree with that one for sure that's uh that's a little little one that you shouldn't probably that's a little box uh you should not open at the table how is your ex or any other question about exes. <laughs> Smart. I'm sorry. Some of these are making me laugh. Have you quit smoking yet? Or are you still partying? Are you still partying? That question could answer itself in just an hour. Yes, I think so. It might be, as we like to say, self-evident. Yeah. Uh, and uh, how about this one? When are you moving out? <laughs> Sorry, it was funny. But yes, those are the to be avoided at all costs. Is that questions. really on the list? When are you moving out? It's on the list. Well, if that's your question, if you ask somebody, your children, that question, the next year, the question you're going to ask is, why don't you come see me? <laughs> that's funny. Hey, here's a cool, uh, this, this is a great resource. When I read through this, I thought this makes a lot of sense. Have you ever noticed it's difficult? We live in a tipping society, and I'm the first guy. I like to tip, mm -hmm. but you don't know when it's appropriate to tip or not. Have you noticed that? Uh, I, I will push back and just say I've never uh, questioned when to tip and when not to. So, no, I, to me, I haven't noticed not knowing when to tip. Well, here's um, the reason why I bring this up. Here's a couple of things. A guy goes by the name of Sam Dojan is becoming a, a bit of a tipping expert. And he's he is a self-made millionaire, but he grew up uh, as a service worker in high school and college. But uh, here, here's some of his guidelines. And here's an example. OK, uh, how about like you go to a place where there's one of those kiosks and no service is rendered, but somebody may hand you your food or your item. Would you tip? Uh, I, I would, and I have, and I do, and it's, it's a buck. I mean, a buck. It is not 20%. And that may be kind of okay, because his point is uh, this. You, if you do tip, you want to tip appropriately because believe it or not, you can tip way too much. Yeah. So yes, in that particular case, a buck might be perfect. And he even goes so far to say, in that particular case, since no other service has been rendered, 
no tip might be in order. Yeah, and there are there are times that I don't tip in that situation too, for sure. How about how about you pick up a takeout order? Do you tip? Uh, again, a buck, a buck, a buck might a, not be bad. A they buck. do say, yeah, if they offer you, let's say, a seat, some water, uh, maybe a side of something while you wait, you might tip them, but. A buck or no tip at all might be perfect. And, you know, if it's a giant order for uh, a party I'm having, a get-together for family, and there's, you know, there's 15 entrees and a bunch of appetizers, and they had to box it up, and, you know, they needed a spreadsheet to get this thing ready for me to pick up, I will tip more than a buck on that. Um, but if it's just dinner for me and Melissa, you know, it's it's a buck, two bucks. Um, I, I, am not, uh, I am not in... With this uh, tipping 18, 20 to 22 percent at a counter for someone who just entered the um, order into a onto a flat screen, I uh, a, I will go to custom tip and I will put a buck a buck yeah. on there. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's even kind of what we're going to get into uh, tipping amounts here in a little bit. But yes, you raise a good point that over tipping for these services because if you think about it. The guy behind you, let's say he's going to leave a buck or nothing, you're up there throwing around, let's say, $10. Wouldn't you like to get the guy that's given the $10 tip in a headlock and go, all you're doing is picking up a bag at a to-go counter? You're making me look bad. <laughs> you're making me look You've set the bar way, way too, too high. high. Have you seen this? I had this the other day. It was a humanless counter. There was not... An employee to be seen, and I placed my order on the kiosk screen, touch screen. Entered my card um, with the tap. Used the Wi-Fi tap to pay for it. Right. It asked me if I would like to tip. Ah. The robot now expects a tip. <laughs> and the Wouldn't person. Would it be great if you heard the Terminator voice? Where's my tip? Yeah. And the person I was with was like, "Well, it's for the you know the cooks in the back." And I'm like, the cooks in the back have negotiated their salary. They're out. They're right. getting paid hourly, and it's not. They're not getting paid three dollars an hour the way a server is. So, you know, and I also have heard uh, tangible stories and evidence of um, restaurants not knowing where that tip goes. Yes. I, you know, and it's not. I don't think it's uh, terrible to ask the server, not the server, the counter person, if they say, "Would you like to add a tip?" Ask them, who gets the tip? Do you get this tip? And if they say, "Yeah, we," you know, by, at the end of our shift, uh, it, it prints out and we divide it up amongst uh, all of us. Then yeah, tip a buck. But if the worker says, "I don't have any idea where this tip goes," and I've never Great. seen one tip on my paycheck, then some CEO nine states away is getting that tip, and they're using it for some. Uh, philanthropy fund where only four percent of the funds are going to charity. I, I'm a little suspect on some of those, especially the bigger the chain, uh, the more suspect I am. Well, and to flip the script on what you just said, let's say you get a job, and you know it's a it's a chain restaurant, so you know they do have an ordering kiosk. You're in the back working. There's no way you've negotiated your salary at this restaurant or your hourly rate based on, oh, by the way, they tip like crazy at the kiosk. You're going to make a fortune. You're going to make more. Yeah. Nobody on the planet has ever said that. How about this one? Uh, 
a trade person comes to your house for house repairs, do you tip for services rendered? This just happened to me on Thanksgiving. Our sink backed up. We had an emergency plumber come, fix the sink. We continued with cooking and cleaning that we could not have done if the sink didn't work. Uh, the price was more than fair, and I gave the plumber um, a $20 bill. And she was absolutely almost um, aghast at how to react. She's like, oh, I'm not allowed to accept that. And I said, I said, look, it's Thanksgiving and you're working and you just saved us. Please let, you know, let me at least buy you lunch. And she did take it. But um, Good. yeah, they don't expect those tips either. But uh, yeah, if it's I, I feel like if their service is above and beyond the call of duty, um, what's another couple bucks on already a, a sizable bill that you're probably paying for that service? Great point. They're out on the holidays, and that's exactly uh, what the guideline is, uh, especially if they've done something for you that's especially helpful for you. Uh, let's say you've had a leak that's bothered you for years. Said plumber comes out, they fix it. It's up to you to show how much appreciation you want to show. But I would think in certain cases like that, it'd be pretty easy. And your point is well taken. If you give somebody $20, you're basically saying, hey, go out and enjoy lunch. You're not you're not making them feel overwhelmed. I don't believe at the $20 mark. No, I agree. And I, it's not going to break the bank. I mean, that is a lot of money. Um, and I would like to have a free $20 bill in front of me right now, but it's not going to break the bank. And it does show appreciation and it pays for their, you know, and it's an easy way to frame it too. Let me buy you lunch. Here's a 20. Yeah. It's, uh, it's easy. It's, uh, it's an easy way to get through life and make others feel appreciated. Jay, thank you so much. Uh, we will do uh, one more show in the calendar year 2023 that'll air next week, and then we move into uh, 2024, and that'll make 20 years ago feel like longer than 2004. I'll tell you that. Uh, thank you for listening. This has been The Adam Ritz Show. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live in studio at the Vibonomics Worldwide Headquarters. Learn more about the Vibonomics Audio Out-of-Home Marketplace at Vibonomics.com. For information on this broadcast, including past on-demand episodes, interview submissions, and syndication contacts, visit adamritzshow.com. 